0: Team. The 1st Battalion is now on our right and advancing fast despite the rain and mud. The machine gun opposition is strenuous. Our casualties are small. We have captured a large number of prisoners. October 1st, our advance is meeting with increased opposition. The enemy has fortified himself on a hill just ahead. The ground prevents active support by the French artillery. Still, we are giving the Germans no rest. They are now retreating across the valley to one of their supply bases. The enemy is burning his supplies. We have taken the village at Arroy. Our losses have been heavy but the Germans have lost more in killed, wounded and taken prisoner than had our forces. On our right the 1st Battalion has entered the village of Sechault. After some hard fighting by Company A October 4th the 2nd Battalion is going in this morning. We are resting at view 3 kilometers from Montbois, one of the enemy's railroad centers and base hospitals. The enemy is destroying supplies and moving wounded. We can see trains moving out of Montbois. Our artillery is bombarding all roads and railroads in the vicinity. The enemy's fire is intense. We expect a counterattack. October 5th the enemy's artillery has opened up. We are on the alert. They had attacked and a good stiff hand-to-hand combat ensued. The Germans were driven back with heavy losses. We have taken many prisoners from about 12 different German regiments. We continued our advance and now are on the outskirts of Montbois. October 6th the enemy is throwing a stiff barrage on the lines to our left where the 333rd French Infantry is attacking. We can see the Huns on the run. The liaison work of the 157th Division is wonderful, not the slightest gap has been left open. Our patrols entered Montbois early this morning and were driven out by machine gun fire, but returned with a machine gun and its crew. We will be relieved by the 76th Infantry Regiment at 8 p.m. We hiked over the ground we had thought so hard to take to Minicourt, where the regiment proceeded to reorganize. October 12th left Bonnie today and continued to Vignemont. October 13th arrived at Vignemont. Hiked 15 kilometers to St. Leonard. October 15th left street Leonard for Van de Laveline in the Vosges. We arrived at Van de Laveline at 10.15 p.m. and took over a sector. November 11th, the patrol of company A took several prisoners from a German patrol, received word of the signing of the armistice at 11 a.m. today, martial music was played, the colors of the regiment are displayed in front of the post command, it is related that the Washington fighters, as well as the other members of the 372nd regiment, received the news of the armistice with more of disappointment than joy, for they had made all preparations to advance with the French through Lorraine. Chapter XIX Comrades on the March, Brothers in the Sleep of Death, policy of substituting white officers injustice to capable Negroes disappointment but no open resentment showed themselves soldiers intense or fighting spirit aroused race forgotten in perils of war both whites and blacks generous affection between officers and men Negroes preferred death to captivity outstanding heroes of 371st and 372nd winners of crosses changing from Negro to white officers was in accordance with the military policy of the American government, the generic inspiration and root being found in national prejudice, incident to the institution of slavery and the spirit of racial caste and narrowness, that still disgraces it. Doubt was pretended to be entertained of the ability of the colored man to command, and although there were not lacking champions for the policy of placing capable Negroes in command of Negro units, the weight of opinion, superinduct and fostered by racial prejudice, inclined to the opposite course, in the light of the fine record made by such Negro officers as were given responsible commands, let us hope for the future honor of the nation, preening herself as being in the vanguard of the progressive commonwealths of the age, that a policy so unjust, narrow and unworthy will, as quickly as feasible be abandoned, in favor of Negro commanders is the additional testimony of high French generals who knew no color distinction and could see no reason why a Negro should not command his own race troops if he had intelligence, courage and military skill. Indeed there are not wanting in the annals of French warfare brilliant examples where men of African blood commanded not only relatos and blacks, but heroic whites as well. It is not of record that those white Frenchmen showed any reluctance to follow such leaders or viewed them with less affection than they did their white officers. One should not say that the Negro troops would have thought any better under the men of their own race. They achieved all possible glory as it was, they simply did their duty whether their officers were white or black, but that they did not fight any the less valiantly or efficiently under men of their own race is abundantly proven by the record of the 370th, or the 8th Illinois as the soldiers and their people still prefer to call it, and other units which had Negroes in responsible positions, that there was disappointment chagrin and anger in the rank and file of the negro soldiers when their own officers were taken from them and white men substituted was natural and quite to be expected, however, there was little open murmuring, while the negro regarded the removal of the officers who had trained him and were, in a sense, his comrades, and fair and called for, his fighting spirit, seemed to burn with an intenser heat, a determination to do his best to show and shame the spirit that robbed him of his own race leaders and at the same time convince his white commanders of the stuff he was made of. There was much disappointment in the ranks of the District of Columbia Battalion, when the place of its old leader was taken by Major Clark L. Dixon, 27 years of age, one of the youngest if not the youngest of battalion commanders in the American Army. But their disappointment was soon allayed, for Major Dixon made an enviable record. He received the Croix de guerre with the citation, Most efficient officer, valorous and intrepid, Acting in dual capacity as regiment legend and operation officer, displayed the utmost energy in issuing operation orders during the period between September 26 and October 6, 1918, and especially distinguished himself in crossing a roadway under violent artillery fire to give assistance to a wounded brother officer. His clear view of the situation at all times and the accuracy with which he issued the necessary orders required of him contributed largely to the success of the regiment. Many of his men have stated that the citation only hinted at the real accomplishments of Major Dixon. In the rigors of war and the perils of battle, men serving side by side, forget race. They simply realize that they are sharing hardships in common, are beset by a common foe and are the subjects of common dangers. Under such circumstances they become comrades. They learn to admire each other and willingly give to each other a full measure of praise and appreciation. The Negro soldiers generally have expressed instinctively approbation and praise of their white officers, and the officers have been equally generous, here is an appreciation by one of the officers of the 372nd Regiment, Lieutenant Jerome Meyer of Washington, concerning the men of that organization, casualties were heavy because the colored lads thought to the last, cheerfully accepting death in preference to captivity. Their adeptness in mastering the throwing of hand grenades and in operating the machine guns quickly won them the esteem of the French. Remember, that the colored lads were quite new to a warfare, but in the Champagne they fought with a persistence and courage that enabled them to hold permanently the ground they gained and won for many of them their decorations. Not a few of the prisoners taken by the regiment declared that the Germans were in positive fear of the Negroes, who, they complained, would never quit even under terrible fire. One of the outstanding heroes of the 372nd Regiment was Sergeant Ira Payne, of 325 15th Street, Washington, D.C. He won the Croix de Guerre and the Distinguished Service Cross, and according to his comrades, was not afraid of the devil himself. His story as related by himself on his return home, follows, During the fighting at Sechoult the Germans were picking off the men of my platoon from behind a bush. They had several machine guns and kept up a deadly fire in spite of our rifle fire directed at the bush. We did our best to stop those machine guns, but the German aim became so accurate that they were picking off five of my men every minute. We couldn't stand for that. Well, I decided that I would get that little machine gun nest myself, and I went after it. I left our company, Dierd, and, by a piece of luck got behind the bush. I got my rifle into action and knocked off two of those German machine gunners. That ended it. The other Germans couldn't stand so much excitement. The Bosches surrendered and I took them into our trenches as prisoners. Not a long story for such an able and courageous exploit. Yet it contains the germ for an epic on bravery. 1st Sergeant John A. Johnson, a colored member of Company B, was decorated with the Croix de Guerre with palm for exceptional bravery during a charge over the top and for capturing single-handed, 200 soldiers who later proved valuable as sources of information. Sergeant Johnson's home was at 1117 New Jersey Avenue, Washington, D.C. He was equally reticent about boasting of his deeds. Near Sechoult during the time the district men were making a big effort to capture the town, said Johnson, I was put in the front lines not 50 feet away from the enemy. A greater part of the time I was exposed to machine gun fire. I suppose I got my medal because I stuck to my men in the trenches and going over the top. Quite a few of the boys were bumped off at that point. Another hero was Benjamin Butler, a private. The citation with his Croix de guerre read, for displaying gallantry and bravery and distinguishing himself in carrying out orders during the attack on Fetchoult. September 29, 1918. Under heavy bombardment and machine gun fire, I did very little, Butler said. During this fight with several others, I carried dispatches to the frontline trenches from headquarters. They decorated me, I suppose, because I was the only one lucky enough to escape being knocked off. Private Charles E. Cross of 1157 21st Street, Washington, D.C. was awarded the Croix de Guerre. His citation reading, for his speed and reliability in carrying orders to platoons in the first line under the enemy's bombardment on September 29th. 1918, in some cases he had to creep across no man's land and a greater part of the time was directly exposed to the enemy's fire. Private William H. Braxton, a member of the machine gun company of the regiment, whose residence was at 2106 Ward Place, Washington, D.C. received the Crow de gore for displaying zealous bravery. An enemy party, reads his citation, having filtered through his platoon and attacked same in the rear. Private Braxton displayed marked gallantry in opening fire on the enemy and killing one and wounding several others, finally dispersing the entire party. The men who stood by me when death stared them in their faces, said Braxton, deserve just as much credit as I do. I was only the temporary leader of the men. Corporal Depew Prior, of Detroit, Michigan, was awarded the Medal Militaire, one of the most coveted honors within the gift of the French Army. As well as the American Distinguished Service Cross, Pryor saw Germans capture a Frenchman, grabbing an armful of grenades. He dodged upon the Germans killing, wounding or rooting a party of ten and liberating the Frenchman. Sergeant Bruce Meddowes, 285 Erskine Street, Detroit, Michigan, brought home the Croix de Guerre with Silver Star, which he won for bringing down an aeroplane with an automatic rifle who had 46 horses which he drove in carting ammunition up to the front lines. Killed in five months was the experience of Arthur B. Hayes, 174 Pacific Avenue, Detroit, Michigan. He returned homesick, with practically no wounds after risking his life daily for months. Sergeant George H. Jordan of Company L, whose home was in Boston, Mass., won the Croix de and pump for taking charge of an ammunition train at Verdun. When the commanding officer had been killed by a shell, he saved and brought through eight of the 17 wagons. Lieutenant James E. Sanford of Washington, D.C. One of the early Negro officers of the 372nd, was captured in naval Court Woods near Verdun, August 19, 1918. He was endeavoring to gain a strategic position with his men when he was met by an overpowering force concealed behind camouflaged outposts. He was taken to Karlsruhe and transferred to three other German prison camps, in all of which he suffered from bad and insufficient food and the brutality of the German guards. Illustration, the 369th Infantry in rest Billets at M.A.F.F.R.E.C.L.U.R.D., France. Henry Johnson, one of foremost heroes of the war, with his famous smile, in right foreground. Illustration, Americans in Prison Camp. Prisoners are amused listeners while jovial Negro fighter relates an episode of war life to a German officer. Illustration, Arthur Johnson, a doughboy of the 8th Illinois 370th Infantry. Winner of CROIX to GUERR and the Distinguished Service Cross. Illustration, game probably is strip poker as two men have already discarded their shirts. One has a large safety pin for instant use. But then, note the horse shoe on his shoe. Illustration, minstrels on board the SAXONIA. Typical group organized on the transports to entertain wounded boys returning from France. Illustration, group on edge of pier waiting to entrain for DMOBI Island camp. Part of the 351st Artillery Unit specially mentioned by General Pershing. Major Johnson led his battalion of the 372nd in an attack in the Champagne which resulted in the capture of a German trench. 100 prisoners. An ammunition dump. 30 machine guns and two howitzers. He received the Croix de Guerre and the Legion of Honor decoration from the French, as well as the Distinguished Service Cross from General Pershing, Company B of the 372nd, took at Sechoult in a raid, 75 prisoners and 4 machine guns. One of the Distinguished Units of the 372nd, was the old and famous Company L of the Massachusetts National Guard. This unit was assembled at Camp Gavens and left soon after the declaration of war for the South. It was stationed for a time at Newport News, and was then incorporated with the 372nd, went to France with that organization and saw its share of service throughout the campaign. Other distinguished units were the well-known 9th Ohio Battalion National Guard, and National Guard companies from Connecticut, Maryland and Tennessee, brigades with the 372nd in the French Red Hand Division was another Negro regiment, the 371st, made up principally of selectives from South Carolina, it was commanded by Colonel P. L. Miles, among the officers were Major Thomas Moffat and Captain William R. Ritchie from Charleston. The regiment saw practically the same service as the 372nd under General Goybet, was mentioned in divisional and special orders, was decorated by Vice Admiral Moreau, Maritime Prefect of Brest. At the same time the honor was conferred on the 372nd. The two regiments were together for seven months. The men of the 371st especially distinguished themselves at crete des Observatories, Paroy and in the Plains of Montpoise. Seventy-one individual members received the Croix de guerre and some the Distinguished Service Cross. Among the latter were the following, Sergeant Lear McClellan, Medical Detachment, Home Address, Boston, Mass., for Extraordinary Heroism in Action near Arroy, September 30, 1918, Corporal Sandy E. Jones, Company C. Home Address Sumter, S.C., for Extraordinary Heroism in Action in the Champagne, September 28 and 29, 1918, Private Bruce Stoney, Medical Detachment, Home Address, Allendale, S.C., for Extraordinary Heroism in Action near Arroy, September 29, 1918. Private Charlie Butler. Machine Gun Company. Home Address. McComb. Miss For Extraordinary Heroism in Action near Arroy September 29th. 1918. Private Willie Boston. Machine Gun Company. Home Address. Rootville. G.A. For Extraordinary Heroism in Action near Arroy September 29th. 1918. Private Dilman Webster. Machine Gun Company. Home Address. Alexandria, Lodot, for extraordinary heroism in action near Arroy, September 29, 1918. Private Ellison Moses, Company C Home Address, Mayersville, SC, for extraordinary heroism in action near Arroy, September 30, 1918. Private Hoonies Diggs, Company G Home Address, Lylesville, NC, for extraordinary heroism in action near Aroy. September 30, 1918 the two regiments, besides the regimental Croix de Guerre, awarded for gallantry in the Champagne, one individual decorations amounting in the aggregate to 168 Croix de Guerre, 38 distinguished service crosses, 4 medal-military and 2 crosses of the Legion of Honor. An incident of the service of the 371st and particularly emphasizing the honesty and faithfulness of the Negro YMCA and the regiment's medical detachment, was the case of Prof. H. O. Cook, a teacher in the Lincoln High School at Kansas City, Mo. Professor Cook, a YMCA man attached to the sector which the 371st was holding during the Great Offensive in September, went with the men to the front-line trenches and rendered valuable aid among the wounded until he was gassed owing to the fact that there were no facilities at that particular time for the safekeeping of money and valuables. He carried on his person more than 150.000 francs in normal times 30.000 which boys in the regiment had given him to keep when they went over the top. After being gassed he was walked over for an hour before being discovered. The money was found and sent by Sergeant Major White also colored to General Headquarters at Chalmont. When Professor Cook was discharged from the hospital and made inquiry about the money, it was returned to him. Not a cent was missing. Colonel Miles recommended that General Pershing Award Professor cook a distinguished service cross. The men of the 93rd Division and other Negro divisions and organizations will never forget their French comrades and friends. It was a lad of the 371st Regiment who wrote the following to his mother. The censor allowed the original to proceed but copied the extract as a document of human interest, in that it was a boyish and unconscious arraignment of his own country for which he with many thousands of others were risking their lives. Manny. These French people don't bother with no color line business. They treat us so good that the only time I ever know I'm colored is when I look in the glass. The 371st Regiment had 123 men killed in action and about 600 wounded or gassed. The casualties of the 372nd consisted of 91 killed in action and between 600 and 700 wounded or gassed. Like the other Negro regiments of the 93rd Division, There was comparatively little sickness among the men, outside of that induced by hard service conditions. Heroes of the 371st and 372nd, the names listed below are Cross and Medal winners. The exploits of some are told in detail in the chapters devoted to their regiments. There are many known to have received decorations whose names are not yet on the records. Cross of the Legion of Honor 372nd Regiment. Major Johnson Medal Militaire 372nd Regiment. Corporation Depew Prior Corporation Clifton Morrison P.D.D. Clarence Van Allen Distinguished Service Cross 371st Regiment Le R McClellan Corporation Sandy E. Jones P.D.D. Bruce Stoney P.D.D. Charlie Butler P.D.D. Willie Boston P.D.D. Tillman Webster P.D.D. Ellison Moses P.D.D. Hoonies Diggs 372nd Regiment Major Johnson served Iron Payne Corporation Depew Prior Colonel I.D.Gare 372nd Regiment Call, Herschel Toops, Major Johnson, Major Clark L. Dixon, Lute, Jerome Meyer served, Major Samuel B. Webster served, John A. Johnson served, Ira M Payne served, James A. Marshall served, Norman Jones p.d., Warwick Alexander p.d., George H. Budd p.d., Thomas A. Frederick p.d., John S. Parks p.d., Charles H. Murphy p.d., William N. Matthew p.d., Ernest Payne served, Homer Cratry served, Norman Winsmore served, William A. Carter served. George H. Jordan served. Bruce Meddow served. Harry Gibson Corporation John R. White Corporation Benjamin Butler Corporation March Graham P.D.D. Joseph McCamey P.D.D. William Dickerson P.D.D. William Johnson P.D.D. Walter Denny's P.D.D. Charles C. Cross P.D.D. William H. Braxton P.D.D. 9 E. Matthews Chapter XX Mid Shot and Shell in Trench and Valley The Open Plain on Mountain Top in No Man's Land Two classes of Negro soldiers considered trained guardsmen and selective skill on 92nd Division Race can be proud of it and 600 Negro officers sets at rest all. Doubts Operations of the Division at Pontamo USSO and Great Battle with met some reflections Casualties considered history. As made in France by the Negro soldier falls naturally into two divisions, that which was made by the bodies of troops which had an organization prior to the war, and whether trained or not, could lay claim to an understanding of the first principles of military science, and that made by the raw electives, the draft soldiers to whom the art of war was a closed book, something never considered as likely to affect their scheme of life and never given more than a passing thought. We have followed the first phase of it in the wonderful combat records of the colored National Guard, It's volunteers and recruits. We have seen them like a stone wall bearing the brunt of attack from the finest shock troops of the Kaiser's army. We have seen them endormented by shot and shell, advancing through the most terrific artillery fire up to that time ever concentrated, rout those same troops, hold their ground and even advance under the most powerful counterattack which the enemy could deliver. We have followed them from trench to plain, to valley and into the mountains and read the story of their battles under all those varying conditions. We have pitied them in their trials, sympathized with their wounded and ill, been saddened by their lists of dead and finally have seen the survivors come home, have seen them cheered and fated as no men of their race ever were cheered and fated before. Much of the nation's pride in them was due to the fact that it knew them as fighting men, at least as men who were organized for fighting purposes before the war. When they marched away and sailed we had confidence in them, were proud of their appearance, their spirit, their willingness to serve the country felt they would not fail to clothe with lustre their race and maintain the expectations of them, that they fulfilled every expectation and more, had come back loaded with honours, finer, manlier men than ever, increased the nation's pride in them, now we come to a contemplation of the other class, the men who knew nothing of military life or military matters, who, most of them, wished to serve but never dreamed of getting the opportunity, many of them employed in the cotton fields or residing in the remote corners of the country, hardly knew there was a war in progress. Some of them realized that events out of the ordinary were transpiring through the suddenly increased demand for their labor and the higher wages offered them, but that Uncle Sam would ever call them to serve in his army and even to go far across seas to a shadowy to them, far off land, among a strange people, speaking a strange language, had never occurred to most of them even in dreams. Then all of a sudden came the draft summons. The call soon penetrated to the farthest nooks of our great land, surprised, bewildered but happy, the Black Legions began to form. It already has been noted that with the exception of the 371st Regiment, which went to the 93rd Division, the selectives who saw service in the fighting areas, were all in the 92nd Division. This was a complete American division, brigade with its own army. Commanded through the greater part of its service by Major General Ballou and towards the end by Major General Martin. While the 92nd Division as a whole did not get into the heavy fighting until the last two weeks of the war, individual units had a taste of it earlier. Service which the division as a whole did see was some of the most severe of the war. The Negroes of the country may well be proud of the organization, for its record was good all the way through and in the heavy fighting was characterized by great gallantry and efficiency. One of the outstanding features of the division was the fact that it had about 600 Negro commissioned officers. Its rank and file of course, was composed exclusively of Negro soldiers. The fine record of the division must forever set at rest any doubts concerning the ability of Negro officers, and any questions about Negro soldiers following and fighting under them. It was a splendid record all the way through, and Negro officers rendered excellent service at all times and under the most trying circumstances. Many of these officers, be it understood, were entirely new to military life. Some had seen service in the National Guard and some had come up from the ranks of the regular army. But the majority of them were men taken from civilian life and trained and graduated from the officers' training camps at Fort Des Moines, Camp Taylor, Camp Hancock and Camp Pike. A few received commissions from the officers' training schools in France. The 92nd Division was composed of the 183rd Infantry Brigade consisting of the 365th and 366th Infantry Regiments and the 350th Machine Gun Battalion, the 184th Infantry Brigade, composed of the 367th and 368th Infantry Regiments and the 351st Machine Gun Battalion, the 167th Artillery Brigade consisting of the 349th, 350th and 351st Artillery Regiments, and the 349th Machine Gun Battalion, the 317th Trench Mortar Battalion, the 317th Engineers Regiment, the 317th Engineers Train, the 317th Ammunition Train, the 317th Supply Train, the 317th Train Headquarters, the 92nd Military Police Company, and the Sanitary Train comprising the 365th, 366th, 367th and 368th field hospital and ambulance companies. Briefly summarized, the operations of the 92nd Division may be stated as follows, arrived in France the summer of 1918. After the usual period of intensive training in the back areas it was divided into several groups for training alongside the French in front line trenches. In August, they took over a sector in the saint di region near the Lorraine border. September 2nd, they repulsed an enemy raid at La Fontenelle. On September 26th, the division was a reserve of the 1st Army Corps in the first phase of the Meuse-Argonne offensive. On October 10th, they moved to the Marbosch sector in the vicinity of Pont-de-Mousson. November 10th, they advanced, reaching bois hot and Bois-Camino, capturing 710 prisoners. These positions were being consolidated on November 11th when the armistice put an end to the fighting. Of course there was fighting by some units of the division from the time early in the summer when they went into the trenches, when the Marbosch sector was taken over by the 92nd Division. No man's land was owned by the Germans and they were aggressively on the offensive. They held the Life Farm, Boys Tatati Deer, Boys Freehut, Boys Farm, Boys Woods, Boys Camino and Mulanbrook. Raids and the aggressiveness of the patrols of the 92nd Division changed the complexion of things speedily. They inflicted many casualties on the Germans and took many prisoners. Each of the places named above was raided by the doughty black men as was also play, While their patrols penetrated north nearly to the east and west line through Pugni, the Germans were driven north beyond Freydot and Voivod to Camino Bridge. In their desperation, they tried to check the Americans by an attempt to destroy the bridge over the Seal River. They succeeded in flooding a portion of the adjacent country, these tactics demonstrating that they could not withstand the Negro soldiers. West of the Seal River excellent results followed the energetic offensive, the Germans losing heavily in killed, wounded and prisoners. In nearly every instance the raids were conducted by Negro line officers. Up to this time the division as a whole, had never been in a major battle. The only regiment in it that had seen a big engagement was the 368th Infantry which took part in the action in the Argonne Forest in September. The division's chance came in the great drive on Metz, just before the end of the war. They were notified at 4 o'clock Sunday morning, November 10th. The motto, See it through, of the 367th Infantry, known as the Buffaloes, echoed through the whole division. They began their advance at 7 o'clock from Pont de Mousson. Before them was a valley commanded by the heavy guns of Metz and by innumerable nests of German machine guns. The Negroes seemed to realize that here for the first time was the opportunity to show their mettle. that for the first time they were going to battle as a division. A sense of race pride seemed to stir and actuate every man. Here was a chance to show what this great body, composed of cotton-field Negroes, of stevedores, mechanics, general laborers, trades, professional men and those from all walks of civilian life who but recently had taken up the profession of arms, could do an opportunity to enact a mighty role was upon them, and they played it well, not only were the black infantry and machine gun units up at the front, in the thickest of it, but the artillery the 167th Brigade was on the line behaving like veterans, they laid down a barrage for the infantry that was wonderfully effective, they established a reputation which has been made by but few, among French, British or Americans, of laying down a barrage that did not entrap, and fatally so, their own comrades. It was a glorious day for the division. The casualty role was heavy for the sector was strongly fortified and the enemy made a most determined resistance. Metz is considered by experts to be th.